Uh, so here we are, we're talking about patience. If I asked the question this morning and I said, what is God teaching you? A lot of people would go, patience, patience, yeah. We, we feel a lot of times I, I do a Bible study and I regularly ask that question at VOA. I say, you know, what, what's God teaching you? And they're like, patience, patience, definitely patience. Uh, and, and so aren't you glad you're here? I know that as we start to talk about patience, it's not always uh, something that we're patient with. Uh, we want patience and we want it now, right? <clears throat> we actually want God to just be kind of, to just, we want to pray for patience or, you know, obviously the thing is don't pray for patience, right? You hear that? Don't ever pray for patience, right? Don't ever pray for patience. Don't do that. But the reality of it is, is that we need patience. We, we need to learn patience and we need to grow in patience. But the problem with patience is that God doesn't just kind of come and sprinkle magic fairy bunny dust over the top of us and make us patient, right? That we are being made patient. And thankfully, God isn't growing impatient. God is patient. God just is patient. And so for us, while we're growing and we're learning and we're moving in patience, um, God doesn't operate that way. You see, the reality of it is, is that without patience, we will see nothing in our lives come to real fruition. Our lives will be lacking. Our marriages will struggle. Our parenting will struggle. Church, the unity, the, the, the reality of dealing with one another in here will falter and fail apart from patience. There's a reality in our lives that we really need patience. The reality of it is, is that you're going to have as much faith as you have patience. When you run out of patience, you'll also run out of faith. Because faith and patience are very much intertwined with one another. You know, the Chinese bamboo tree is an interesting thing. I was reading about this. And, and when, when a farmer, a Chinese farmer, uh, plants a Chinese bamboo tree, the first year he plants it, he fertilizes it, he waters it, he takes care of it, nothing happens. The second year, he waters it, he fertilizes it, he takes care of it, nothing happens. The third year, he waters it, he fertilizes it, he takes care of it, and nothing happens. The fourth year, he waters it, he fertilizes it, he takes care of it, and nothing happens. And sometime in the fifth year, in a six-week period, it grows to over 90 feet tall. Isn't that crazy? The, the question then is, is, did that tree grow... 90 feet tall in six weeks or in five years, right? So, so many times there are things, these things, when we, when we start to understand the seeds and growing and things like that, we have to realize that the first thing that a seed does is puts down roots, right? It grows. We don't see that instant satisfaction of that just coming up out of the ground right away. It, it takes time, and God is really about developing within us patience, See, hope is something that we need. Romans 5, 4, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And we need hope, amen? Amen. We need hope in this world around us. You're going to have to be patient with me because I caught a summer cold. Isn't a summer cold like the worst thing? So be patient with me. But we need hope. And hope in the world around us, the way that we tend to look at hope, is that we have hope, it's a wish. We, we've reduced hope to the idea of a wish. I hope it comes true. I hope that happens. I hope God shows up. 
But you see, that's not the biblical hope. Biblical hope is this. It is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation that when we hear from God and we have faith in God, that we have an expectation that God is going to show up in the midst of our thing. We wait in that place and we stand in that place in hope and in faith, waiting for God. James 1, 2 through 4, you knew I was going to put this one out there, right? Isn't it amazing how much this verse shows up? I was thinking about it, though. This verse shows up all the time. It's just interesting how many times we circle through this verse right here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds, various trials, trials of various kinds, I'm sorry. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Wow, is that what we do? Count it all joy. Thank you, Jesus. May I have another? You know, when we're in the middle of it, we're in the throes of it, when we're struggling, when, when we're in the middle of things that we don't understand and we didn't ask for. But God is He's faithful in this. And thank God He is doing something in the midst of this. And that the reality of it is, is that the testing of our faith is producing a steadfastness and steadfastness is having its full and complete effect. When it says perfect here, it doesn't mean that we're becoming really truly perfect. It means we're being complete. That, that, that there is a process that is going on in this that is building character and that is training us and teaching us. <clears throat> See, our faith is tested. Faith is tested. It just is. But we have this great thing because we have a strength within us. And the joy of the Lord, his word says, is our strength. It's the joy of the Lord, right? Amen. And joy is something that you can have despite your circumstances. It's not dependent on your circumstances. Happiness, yes, dependent on our circumstances. Joy, joy is something that we can have in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the things that we don't understand. You see, this idea of perfect and complete, it ties back into that whole idea of peace and shalom, which shalom, peace, is the idea of wholeness and completeness, of of having a peace and, and, and a wholeness in every facet of our lives. Have you ever heard people say something like this when it comes to faith? They say, well, I tried that. It just didn't work for me. I, I tried faith. I tried Jesus. I tried, I, I tried, you know, praying for that. I tried, it just didn't work for me. Well, it doesn't work that way. Actually, the reality of it is, is that they were tried by faith, or their faith was tried, and they come up empty. They failed. It, it, it's, it's just, it's simply a failure. It, it, it's that idea, you see, see, it's not that, um, we are tested by our faith and we've come up short when, that's our, when that is our perspective. <clears throat> See, we've got to become a people who want God more than we want the outcomes. We seek the outcomes all the time. It's kind of a jailhouse conversion kind of a thing. We see jailhouse conversions and, and they can be perfectly legit. Honest, awesome place to meet God is in the middle of our darkest times. It's where I met him. Didn't meet him in jail, but it was a dark time. But you see, the problem sometimes with jailhouse conversions is that, is that what we really want is we, we want out of the present struggle that we're in. 
We want out of the frying pan. We want out of our present circumstances, and we believe that if we make a deal or start to kind of make deals with God, that it'll get us out of that. Well, the problem with that is that when you get what you were in it for, you'll go back to what you used to do. See, because you received what you were in it for, you weren't really in it to develop a a long-term relationship with God. You weren't really saying, look, I'm going with you wherever you go or wherever this leads. We say, look, man, you just get me out of this situation. We begin to pray and hit our knees. We're like, just get me out of this. And when you get me out of this, I'll I'll go to church every Sunday. Well, you won't. Why? Because you didn't really want to go to church every Sunday. You really just wanted to get out of your circumstances. So we can't approach God like that and see God isn't going to be manipulated by us in our relationship with him. Our faith is tested. We don't want to come up short, and the way that we don't come up short is by endurance, by persevering. All of these hard things that the Bible talks about, it talks about persevering, it talks about, it talks about having patience and persevering. It talks about us becoming an overcomer, and guess what? If you're going to be an overcomer, that means there's going to be something to come over, Amen. right? Amen. But there's hard times, there's struggles, there's difficulties in this world. But that we have a God who is greater than our greatest struggles. But we have this problem, and it's called instant gratification. We want what we want now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to develop patience. We don't want to invest into the future. There's a great, uh, you guys know Jacob and Esau, right? And, and just do the overview here really quick, but... But Esau comes out first, and Jacob holding on to his heel, and, and, and Esau then is, he's the firstborn. He's, he's the one who is going to become the, 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 the leader of the family. He's going to eventually become the patriarch of the family. He's the one who receives a double portion of the inheritance, not to spend on himself, but to, but to, to, to lead and to lead within his family. And he has this position, and he has this privilege of that. And so as the story goes, and obviously I'm paraphrasing here, but it says that Esau comes in from hunting one day, and he's really hungry. Obviously wasn't a good hunter, but he's hungry. And he says he comes in, and, and, and Jacob has got a stew going, and it smells great. It smells amazing. And Esau goes, hey, man, how about you give me a bowl of stew? And Jacob says, okay, give me your birthright, and I'll give you a bowl of stew. And you know what Esau did? He took the deal. He said this. He said, what good is my birthright if I die today of hunger? And it says he forsook his birthright for a bowl of stew. And you think, wow, that's dumb. Why would he do that? How stupid, until I look into my own life, and I realize how many times God was asking me to invest into something into the future, and because I believed I was going to starve to death today if I didn't have a certain thing, I took that thing over the future and the goodness and the hope that God had for me. I I took that over developing real character and, and, and allowing God to work and change in my life. If I die today, 
It's a bad thing. So it's a, it's a dangerous perspective today. What good is this if I'm going to die of hunger today? The reality of it is, is we're not going to die of hunger today. It, it's the same thing as, as, uh, as we look at James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. See, this race is about endurance. It's about long-suffering. It's about going to the end. And if you've trusted Jesus and you've believed on Jesus, then you will endure to the end. Amen, right? It's about endurance, that God has something for us, but it's about remaining steadfast under trial. It's about not quitting. It's about when our, te- when our faith tests us, we don't fall short. See, in James, it talks about this, that we, that we come to God so many times, but we come, as, we come double-minded. We come kind of going, hey, God, I've got this issue. I've got this struggle. Can you meet me in this? Can you help me here? And then we're like, hey, look, if you don't have time for that, let me have it back, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to look for another answer. And then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to look over here, and I'm going to look over here. And the Bible says that if we live our lives like that, that there's nothing that's going to be stable in our lives. We're going to be tossed to and fro like we're just sitting on the wind and the waves. Whichever direction the world or our lives take us, it's going to run us over, and it's going to push us in that direction, and then this one, and then this one. And we're going to find no stability or anything in our lives. See, in Luke 8, Jesus is he's explaining the parable of the sower. And he says this. He says, now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are the ones who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocking soil are the ones who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and yet these do not have a firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked by worries, riches, and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word with a good and virtuous heart and hold it firmly and produce fruit. How? With perseverance. With keeping on. With pressing through. With continuing to trust in God. I think that real faith is just continuing to believe on God and believe together on God for the things that God has said. It's, it's continuing to go to God and saying, God, I have a need here. I need some bread. I think you got some bread in there, God. And God says, you know what? He's a God who wants to meet these needs in our lives. He, he wants to change us. But you see, all of these things in this parable are people that quit. They quit. It sounds really good at first, but then uh, they got no root and the hard times come in or the devil just snatches it away. Or guess what? Big warning for us, church, the temptations of the world out there are just too great for this. 
building our own kingdom and doing our own thing becomes too much of the, of the thing of our lives. And it says in that that they bring no fruit to maturity. Why? Because maybe they're saved, but they're not really interested in kingdom things. Maybe they're just too busy in their own kingdom to have any fruit that is going to last into his kingdom. Abraham knew a few things about patience, right? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So God swore why by himself? Because there's nobody greater. There's nobody greater to make a vow to. So God made a vow unto himself. If there was somebody greater than God, God certainly could have found them. But he made a, a vow and he swore to himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope he set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus is better. Abraham, he waited 25 years for this promise. God said he was going to have an heir and that that heir was going to be greater than the, than the number of the stars in the sky and the sand on the shores. And that's coming true today, you see, because we're, we fit into that. We are heirs of that seed. That initial seed who was, started basically with, with Isaac, but then through Jesus, has, has grown and, and is, is the heirs that, that Abraham has through this lineage are multiplying daily. But he waited for 25 years for that until it was impossible, really. You know, he tried to do some things on his own, his own way, and kind of messed a few things up that way. But he had to wait. And when he felt like he'd waited a long time, he had to wait even longer. But see, God has a different time frame. The Bible says that to God, a thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. So while Abraham felt like it was a long time and that like, guess what? Oh my gosh, this may not happen. It, this is really getting to be a close call here, God, because I don't know how this is going to work out. God's not worried. God knows it's going to work out. He's unaffected by that. When we, just like the Israelites, when we're, when, when we're like faced off and we've come to the edge of the Red Sea, right, and, and the horses of, of Pharaoh are breathing down the back of our necks, and we're like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do, God? And boom, it opens up, and then we're like, whoo, that was close, God. I didn't know if you were going to show up. I didn't know if you were going to make. God wasn't worried about it. God knew it was going to happen. God knew it was going to be okay. The same thing for, for Abraham here. See, and here's the deal. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
if a thousand years is as a day to God, that's about 36 minutes in Abraham's 25 years. Think we could trust God for 30 minutes? Sure. But sometimes it's hard. Time will test your faith. Time will test your faith. We get weary. Abraham waited 25 years. See, believing is enduring, and it's enduring until the end, until God does what he's going to do. We're told to stand firm. And after we've done all that we can do to stand, we stand. And we keep standing. And we hold fast. And we hold firm. And we continue to believe God for the things that he said. And see, if we... If we don't really do that, it's kind of like there's a difference between ownership sometimes and possessing something. You can own something and not possess it. Just ask some people right now who live in California who own a home, but squatters are living in it. They don't possess that home at this moment. They own it, but they don't possess it. You and I can be like that. We can have ownership of things that God has promised us, things that he is, is telling us, that he has given to us, but we also have to possess it. We also have to have it. We don't want to just own it and not possess it. We want to move into that and move into those promises. Well, not name it and claim it, not necessarily that. I'm not, I'm not going that far, but... but uh, but we can own it and never have it, right? Jesus says, look, you, you have not because you ask not. And then when you do pray, you pray for your own things and different things like that. Or that we, we run out of faith. We, we ask and then, we, uh, and, and then we, uh, when we ask of these things, we, we have to ask by faith and then we have to just keep believing. We have to keep enduring, And so we're here and we're, we're living in this world and we're trying to work our way through this. There are two great faith killers, I think, that are out there. And, and, and this is kind of one that I really want us to kind of think about some, sometimes. And, and this is, it, it starts with this. It starts with God told me. Now, I'm not going to say that God isn't going to tell you things. God tells us a lot of things. His word for sure. And so I, I'm going to emphasize the first thing. God is never going to tell you something that contradicts his word, ever. It's the same spirit that is telling you something or wants to speak to you in a way that also wrote this book, and it's not going to be contradictory, ever. Never. But God told me can be a really dangerous thing to say. It's a bold statement, and we have to be really careful with that, honestly. If God told you something great, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to hold fast. But let's probably admit, too, at the same time that we have a real, we can have a real tendency to sometimes to take what we're saying or what our desires are at times and say, God told me that. Or we can, maybe God does tell you something, but we can twist what God has told us into something that better fits our own desires. I think we've all done that. I think if you've walked with the Lord long enough, you've probably found a time in your life where you said, I believe that God told me this, but then you found out later, like, 
I don't know that he really did. We have to really be careful with that. Because it can be these things, the two great faith killers are this. I think it's, it's getting ourselves into something that God didn't in, intend for us, generally through instant gratification. Or it's this, it's standing in faith on something that God did not say. It's standing in that kind of faith because that will kill your faith. If you're standing and you're waiting in something that God really didn't say, see, God doesn't want you to be in that he doesn't want you beating your head against the wall. How can you know? How can we know if what God is, we believe God has told us is something that God is really telling us? Well, I've got a couple thoughts here. One is this. Are you looking for people to change for you and to better meet your, your agenda? Or are you looking to God? Because Psalm 27, 14 says to wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. If we're trying to move people, if we're trying to say, gosh, I think the Lord told me this for the church or whatever, that kind of a thing. And so now, now I've got to get all these people, the elders, and I want to, to, to switch around and to start to do this. No, you're wrong. You need to wait for the Lord. If the Lord told you that, you continue to go to him and you allow the spirit that is, has told you that to tell them that and to work through that. You see, and if it's God, then the Spirit of God is telling you something, then every single moment you're growing closer to the thing that he's told you that he's going to do in your life. And that does something, that witnesses in your spirit, that witnesses encouragement and hope into your spirit. So if you feel like that you're growing closer and your spirit is resonating that way, you might be on track to something. Are you growing in peace and hope? The longer that time goes, or are you finding yourself despairing and weary? Because when we stand in something that maybe God hasn't said, eventually we're going to grow weary. Because the Spirit isn't going to be witnessing with ours. He's not going to be moving us in that direction. He's not going to be infusing hope and, and endurance and, and, and strength into us because He didn't say that thing. You see, this is the, what, what the Bible says about what happens when we wait for the Lord. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so that's the question is, is if you're waiting and if you're standing firm in something today. And I, don't get me wrong. I want to encourage you to hold fast and to stand firm in the things that God is calling you to do. And the things that he's really speaking into your life. But if you're growing weary and you're growing frustrated and you're getting resentful and angry, maybe you should look at that thing. Maybe that's something that you turned into something that God, you believed God was saying to you. Maybe that's something that was, maybe that was you and your voice. Maybe that's your desire. It's just waiting for you to get out of that so that he can move you into the greater things. See, because when we wait for the Lord, our strength is renewed. We mount up with wings like eagles. We run and we're not weary. They shall walk and not faint. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Romans 15, 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy, peace, and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Don't quit right before the miracle. Press in. Believe on him. Believe in his promises. Believe in the things that he's already told us. Let your steadfastness and your patience produce endurance. Let endurance have its complete and perfect effect in your life. See, we got to grow in the area of patience. We'll have as much faith as we have patience. When we run out of patience, we start to go other places. We start to look other places for the things that only God can really do in our lives. Don't quit. We've just got to grow. We've got a good God who has a good plan, who desires for you and I to grow in this thing called patience. He's not trying to frustrate you and I. He's not trying to... uh, He's not trying to see how much we can endure or how much we can take. He's actually doing a good work in us, something that we need done in us. We need to grow and develop. We need to become a more patient people. We need to trust and we need to endure. We need to quit jumping around from this thing to this thing to this thing to this thing, thinking that those things will give us the meaning and purpose that only God can. Lord, we thank you. We just thank you for for your word, and we thank you that you are for us and not against us, and that uh, even as hard as patience is, it's a good thing. So help us, Lord, that we might truly endure in this area, that we might walk close to you, that we might trust you in a new and a deeper way. Give us strength, Lord. Renew us. Mount us up, Lord, like on eagles, Lord, and when the world seems so dark, and so chaotic, and such a struggle around us, remind us, Lord, that this isn't a close call for you, that, that you're, not, you're not sitting back going, boy, I hope this works out, that hope isn't a wish. It's, it's, it's understanding that things are truly coming out as you have called them and proclaimed them to be. So, Lord, we just thank you. We give you praise and glory and honor in this place, and we say, Lord, just have your way in us. Teach us and guide us in all manner of things that we need it. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.